0: Please turn with me in your Bibles uh, to the book of Mark chapter 4. And as, we, as Tim was talking about, we, we stand upon the threshold. I mean, we have just stepped across the threshold of a new year. And thinking of the year 2012, as some, some were reluctant to say goodbye to 2011, while others were more than willing to say goodbye and to start a new year. And there's something about starting a new year, to start with a clean slate, that it's a fresh beginning. It's, It's like getting in a new car. There's no miles on it, there's no scuffs, there's none of the wear and tear. It's a, it's a new year, it's a new car. We can, we can do what we want, and it's full of all of this hope and all of this potential. And we've, we've, we make these resolutions, as even Tim was talking about, how we vow to, to lose weight, to get in shape, to be more financially secure and stable, to to be a better than we were before, but we also know all too well that we, the re- resolutions we make today will be gone tomorrow, tomorrow, maybe even before the end of the day. For some of us who are hold on, we could make it weeks, maybe even months, and, and some will make it all the way through, but I would, I would guess that most of us would, would abandon them. Some some trial will come up, some tribulation, some difficulty, some pain, some problem, and we will jettison that resolution or just neglect it, let abandon it by the wayside. And then we feel this nagging guilt at not having fulfilled it. And and we 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 go through these pains and problems and we we meet situations that make life difficult. And I know as we stand upon the threshold of the new year. If I could make not one resolution, but if I had one hope for Village Bible Church and each individual here in this year, it would be that each of us, no matter what trial we might face, no matter what problem or what pain we might experience, that we might have peace, have peace. It's amazing to me how much people just want peace. I mean, could you use some peace in this new year? I mean, even talking with some of you, it, right before the, the Christmas vacation, everything gets just wound up, we're excited about it, and then we're, we're at parties, and we're with family and with friends, and then we're peopled out. You ever been there? You're just, the holidays are exhausting. And it's like, I need a day just to relax and focus and get perspective in the new year. Well, today, in today's passage, I hope that each one of us can see what it's like to have peace, Today we're going to look at two stories that Mark gives to us. We're looking at the story of Jesus calming the storm. and We're going to look at Jesus' interaction with the demoniac, the demon-possessed man. And we're going to see him, him stepping into these, these individuals' lives and these situations and giving peace. And we need then to have this perspective in this coming year that God, no matter what we go through, no matter what trial or trouble we might face, no matter what pain we might experience, no matter what problem we might be going through, that God can speak peace to us in the midst of it. And that's great. We need to have that. We need to be armed with that mentality to apply the Word of God to each and every situation in which we find ourselves because we've all been there when we've been drowning, when the storms of life are caving in and we go, where are you, God? Have you ever been there? Have you ever wondered where God's at in the midst of your situation? Well, we can take hope that God will speak peace and He is there and He is not silent. He is ready to step into our lives and speak peace and give us the right perspective to have for this new year. So I would ask you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be reading a very long passage today from Mark chapter 4 verse 35 all the way into chapter 5 verse 20. And it's our tradition here at Village Bible Church Grace Campus to stand for the reading of God's Word. Um, And uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Holy Spirit through Mark says, On that day when evening had come He said to them, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat, the man who had been Possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but said to him, "Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much He has had mercy on you." And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence, knowing that you are the God of peace. Lord too often in life. We go through so many different struggles, so many different situations in which we have no peace. Lord, I pray today that we might see how you can speak peace into our lives in this coming year and forever. Lord, may we glorify your name, and may we truly understand how to walk in the peace that you have enabled us to have through Jesus Christ. So Lord, please glorify yourself today. Open open our ears to hear the truth that you have, and may we go forth ready to glorify your name. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I would first like to, to look at Jesus' calming of the storm. Now, the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee, which is about 8 miles wide and 13 miles long. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. It's a sea that has uh, some little bit swells. I mean, the wind can come down at a heartbeat, and you can be rocking and rolling. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a boat on the seas, but it can be a quite tumultuous experience. And your stomach can be up, and then it can be down. This past summer, I had the opportunity, uh, while I was in Florida, visiting my wife's family. Her uh, cousin has uh, a boat, and so he invited me to go fishing. I'm not a fisherman, but I wanted to try it. I figured Jesus was a fisherman. I should give it a shot, uh, or at least he had, was experienced being a fisherman. He wasn't a fisherman. He was a carpenter, but he, he, you know, he ate fish. I'm not a big fish guy, but I figured if Jesus should do it, why shouldn't I? So I went out on the boat with him, and we were experiencing five to six feet swells, which means you're going up. And you're going down. And he had warned me and my companion to take some motion sickness, some Dramamine, before we went on the boat. I don't know about you, but I, get, I can get seasick pretty easy. So we're out on the boat. I would taken mine, and we were going up and down, and up and down. And we're, I mean, you can't even walk around on the boat. And, and then I had a whole new appreciation for the TV show Deadliest Catch. Anybody ever seen that show? I mean, those guys are all over the place. The waves crashing in on TV. It's like, ah, that's not so hard. Yeah, here I am about ready to throw up, and we're just doing this. And, and seeing just how quickly the boat can move and rock back and forth. And I was okay if I kept my eye on the horizon. But the other guy, he said, oh, I don't need to take any medicine. I'm an experienced fisherman. I did it when I was a kid. And his face turns green ten minutes in. We have to go and drop him off. He just couldn't handle it. But those who have been on the boat for a period of time, who have ever been out for a long time, you, you know what it's like. To feel that rocking and rolling. And, and these guys were, were fishermen, so they were really familiar with what it was like, just being on the Sea of Galilee. It was late, Jesus had already had a full day of ministry, and he's exhausted, so exhausted that he goes down to the bottom of the boat, and he, uh, or the stern of the boat, the right side, the front side, and he falls asleep on a cushion. Now, that's a detail that no other gospel writer gives us, which gives us really good insight to see that it was probably Peter that was supplying John Mark this information because Peter was really close with Jesus and undoubtedly knew some of these very intimate details and the water is crashing in to this boat and that's how tired Jesus is I mean if it's crashing in it's undoubtedly going below deck and the water is even filling up the boat so there's even a puddle of water that's filling the boat I mean, and these boats are pretty big it was big enough to handle at least 13 men Jesus and the 12 disciples so it's a pretty good sized boat in the first century and it's, it's late at night, and these guys, many of the disciples were fishermen, and they knew this was bad. I mean, they could tell this was not an ordinary storm. This is dire straits. We are having a really hard time. We're going to die. And I, I even think, like I, I was mentioning before, The Deadliest Catch, I started watching that again recently on Netflix and just seeing how bad it can get quickly. And one of the boats in the first season, the episode, uh, first season sinks, and five of the six crewmen die. And it's just, it can happen. And these guys had all the modern technology it could be, but it can't stop the sea. It can't stop the, the storms in which people find themselves. And even these guys who have been on the sea a long time, they knew that this was bad. So they come down to Jesus, and undoubtedly you can just hear their feet going into the, down into the deck, I mean below deck, and they're sloshing through the water, and they're shaking Jesus, Hey, wake up! Don't you know that we're perishing? Don't you know that's what's going on? Don't you, don't you care about the situation which we're finding ourselves? We're all going to die. And, and Jesus is tired and he wakes up and he comes up. And you can see him stepping in his sandals, already tired. He's walking up, 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 um, above deck, comes up on deck, and he just says, peace, be still. Can you imagine that? And then everything just goes calm. Now, there's some several principles that I would like us to see as we get into the, the text today. The first is this. God cares about our problems. Jesus knows, is no, knows the problems that we face. See, when they said to Him, don't you care? How many times have we ever been in a situation in life that we've had to come to Jesus and, and almost, in essence, wake Him up like God was sleeping? And don't you know what's going on in my life? Don't you know the situation in which I find myself? Don't you see what's going on with my children? Don't you see what's going on in my marriage? Don't you see what's going on in my workplace? Don't you see what's going on in my economy? Didn't you see my my health report? I mean, there's so many situations in which we find ourselves where we're crying out to God saying, Lord, don't you know? Don't you care? The cool thing is, is that God does care. I mean, he cares. I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about our God. He cares intimately about the details of our life. He tells us that we're worth, I mean, he knows all of the sparrows. He knows all of the flowers of the field. And he says that we're worth more than many sparrows. Even the hairs of our head are numbered. I'm sorry for you, Gary. But they're numbered. Because God cares so intimately about the details of our life. And the scripture bears that out. Time and time again, God cares about the widow. God cares about the orphan. God cares about the immigrant. God cares about the children. God cares about the aged. God cares about your marriage. God cares about your children. God cares. Isn't that make you feel great? That God cares about you? That makes me feel wonderful. Because sometimes God is so far above that he doesn't seem near. And that's the amazing thing that we just celebrated with this past Christmas is that God came near. That God came to identify with us. That's the, the most amazing thing about Christianity is that God would assume flesh of His creation, not make Himself away from the suffering of mankind, but to become intimately associated with our sicknesses and our sufferings and then even take our sins upon Himself. That is an amazing thing. Knowing that God Cares. And in order for us to have peace in the new year, that's the first thing we need to understand, is that God is not immune or ignorant to our situation. He cares about the financial difficulty in which you might find yourself. He cares about your marriage and the problems you might be facing. He cares about whether or not you're entering into retirement and you're having a hard time because of health conditions. And He cares about all of these very intimate details of our lives. And not only that, but He, he not only cares excuse me, about the details of our life and the problems that we face, but He speaks to us in the midst of it. In the midst of the storm, He speaks to our situation. Just as the song says, sometimes God calms the storm and sometimes He calms His, his child. He speaks to us. He speaks peace in the middle of it. God knows the problems we face, and He desires that we be trusting in His power. Trusting in the power of our Savior. We can see that just as we're in the text. Jesus, in verse 39, He awoke, rebuked the wind, and said, Peace! Peace! Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And He said to them, Why are you so afraid if you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. I mean, think about it. These guys had been through storms. This doesn't just happen. I mean, think about if you were in that situation. You've been through storms in your life. I mean, literal storms. You've been there when the wind picks up and you can feel sometimes the house shaking. I don't know if you've ever been through that or if you've ever been through a tornado or if you've ever been through a hurricane. My wife uh, was through, went through Hurricane Andrew and feeling the house shake and seeing trees blow over and, and then to have it suddenly someone to say peace and it stops just like that, that would freak me out. Because Jesus would take on, I mean, it's one thing to say in theory that Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord of all. It's another thing to witness it firsthand. I can't imagine what the disciples thought. I mean, looking at one another in great fear, going, he's a lot more powerful than we thought. See, Jesus has power over several things. There are four things that we're going to see here. First of all, He has power over natural disasters. Natural disasters. God is sovereign even over the natural disasters in life. Hurricanes, tsunamis, uh, northeasters, you name it, tornadoes. God is, is sovereign over all of these things. And that's sometimes hard for us to fathom because we ask ourselves, Why? Why does God allow things like that to occur? And this we don't know. We don't know. But we do know that He is sovereign, that we know His ways are above ours. We know that He He accomplishes purposes in ways that are above us. But we know and we rest in the fact that God is good. That God is good. He's not ignorant of our sufferings, but He is there with us in the midst of them. So He is More powerful or has power over natural disasters. He also has power over personal disruptions. Personal disruptions. How many of you have a hard time when you get disrupted? When you get out of your routine. I mean we all we we face it, we all have routines. When we get up in the morning, we like things to be a certain way. This is when I have my coffee. This is what I do. Don't talk to me. This is when I read my paper. And and things happen in life, even as we're working, and someone comes into you and you had a deadline and you're trying to accomplish it and you and they just totally mess everything up. And the disciples were thinking, hey, we're going along. We got a great ministry going. Hey, people are getting healed. People are being fed. Did you see what Jesus did with the bread and the fish? Woo! I mean, and then this storm comes up. And they're and they're dealing with this. And they're this is not what we expected. This is totally throwing a kink. I mean, a a wrench in what we were doing. But Jesus speaks to even that in the midst of it. Peace, be still. He calms their heart in the midst of it. So He is Lord over our natural disasters and our personal disruptions. He's also Lord over our internal distress. See, no sooner had Jesus stepped out of the boat. He is met by a man in great distress. This guy comes out of the tombs. He's hanging out in the graveyard who had an unclean spirit. He is demon-possessed. He's just not right. Something's wrong. He was demonized, possessed by demons, living among the dead, and he's isolated from the living. He's violent in great misery and spent his days and nights wandering among the tombs on the mountains, crying out in agony and cutting himself with stones. I mean, he's in so much pain, he's trying to kill himself. That's the agony in which he finds himself. And when we see this man in overwhelming distress, we don't know how he got into this condition, but it was probably because he had opened a door for the devil to work in his life. See, sin causes great pain. It isolates us from others. It humiliates us. This guy's naked. And then it, gives, it opens a door for the devil to operate to get into our life. And we can see that within two texts uh, of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 27, the Apostle Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In the NIV, it says, Give the devil a foothold. The word in Greek there is spatial, meaning that when you continue to hold on to anger and bitterness, it grows in your life and it gives the devil room to step in. It's like unlocking your windows at night and unlocking your doors, and the devil can have just his way to come in. There's no defense. There's no way to stop it. That's one thing that we can see, that when we habitually continue in sin and ignore the promptings and warnings of God's word, that we are opening up ourselves for Satan to work specifically and personally within our own lives. You see this today, I mean, we've seen it brought out in a lot of ways, in a lot of sins. When someone's really struggling with alcohol, and they're drinking, and they're drinking, and then they black out, and then they find themselves woken up in a different place. Well, what happened in that period of time? I mean, it's by no secret that certain bars are are called place of spirits. Because the alcohol's taken over. And there's something that's guiding them the satanic force. The devil is, is involved in that type of thing. Or Ouija boards. And that was a big thing when I was a kid and some of the kids would play with it and think that they were controlling Satan. And the idea is, is you're opening yourself up in a very uh, horrible way. Reading your horoscope. and Doing all of these ever things of the occult. And it, it's not just the occult. It can be through pornography. It could be through just lying and stealing and cheating. We're opening the door by continuing and habitual sin for Satan to work in our life. Now you can see this also shown within a different scripture. I said that there were two different scriptures I wanted you to pay attention to. The second passage is in the book of Matthew chapter 12. The book of Matthew chapter 12, it's also found in Luke 11. But in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. In other words, this guy had a demon in him, and the demon was cast out, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also also will it be with this evil generation. In other words, this guy had opened him up over time, to be filled with demons. I mean demons had come in and his name is legion, which is the Roman word that is used for a certain military troop of a few thousand soldiers. And we know that all these demons are cast out and they fill 2000 pigs, these unclean animals. So their sky is packed full of demons. And We see that he is just in great misery and distress. And part of that is because he had opened himself up to sin and let the devil operate. But we see that Jesus is Lord over our internal distresses and he is Lord over Satan's dominion. Satan's dominion. See, this guy, he's filled with demons because he opened himself up to all manners of sin. But he sees Jesus, he runs to him. Immediately, remember we saw that word immediately? We see that it appears about a little over 40 times in the book of Mark, in the 478 verses of Mark, 40 times it's there. And this guy, he immediately comes to Jesus and he bows down. And he's not wanting to bow down. But see, when Satan comes into the presence of God, when the demons, they recognize who Jesus is. And they are in just, they're freaked out because they know who Jesus is, that he's the Lord of all. And they said, what have you to do with us, o, uh, Jesus? Have you come to torture us before the time? Because they knew that, they knew what the Word of God said. Remember, James even says that the demons know that God is one, and they shudder, because they know the Word of God. Satan, remember, he was quoting the Bible to Jesus? The demons know the Bible. The demons know the Bible, and Satan masquerades, masquerades as an angel of light. And he likes to take the truth of Scripture and interject a lie. That's where we get things like Mormonism. You have Jesus, but it's interjected with a lie, so you take truth and interject it with a lie, and what happens? It becomes a bigger lie. And it leads people off a very precipitous slope into all kinds of disobedience and manner of sin. So we see this man, he is tormented, and he is filled with demons, but these demons recognize Jesus is. That Jesus is Lord, even over Satan's dominion. That's an amazing thing. I don't know if you've ever encountered situations like that in life. People that you just knew something wasn't right within them. When I grew up, we had a guy in my hometown as kids that every parent in town said, stay away from this guy. If you see him coming, get away. Get away. He was a scary guy. Just everything about him, you knew something wasn't right with him. And that's undoubtedly what the parents in the community had said. I mean, stay away from this guy. And they had even tried to remove him from the community completely. And the only place that he would find even a home was among the tombs because he's in great anguish and torment. And it says in the text that he's crying out day and night. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been sleeping in your home and you hear something at night, a car accident, or you hear a boom. Last night you heard fireworks going off that can wake you out of bed. I mean, I can't imagine being in the first century and hearing someone scream at the top of their lungs in agony down the road. And your kid's waking up in the middle of the night going, Daddy, what is that? What is that, Daddy? I'm trying to quiet him. I mean, this guy's in anguish. Because that's what sin does to us. When we let sin have its way in our life, we make ourselves a slave to sin. Paul even talks about that in the book of Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you know that he who sins is a slave to sin? That we are offering up ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. And by doing that, we're giving the devil a foothold and it transforms us into these very vile and disturbed creatures. But Jesus is Lord even over that. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, that when we come to Jesus, he can speak peace into our life. It doesn't matter, I mean, what it is, what we are guilty of, that Jesus can speak peace into our lives. I mean, That's what we see within this demoniac. And then we see this transformation within him that he is now clothed in his right mind. And again, we see this within the passage. We see the disciples afraid after they had seen him calm the storm. Now we see the townspeople afraid because they knew how bad this guy was. They knew how powerful he was, how strong he was, that not even a chain could bind him. And now he is clothed in his right mind, which means that there was a power even greater than that man in their midst. And it scared them. It scared them. And when Jesus comes into our lives, sometimes the transformation is so abrupt that those around us are scared because they've seen how we have been set in our right mind and been given peace. Given peace. Now it's interesting that the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Shalom. And it doesn't just mean the absence of conflict, but wholeness to all of life. And here is a man made whole at peace with God and himself. He offers us the same peace. He offers us peace with God through tr- trusting in his sacrifice on the cross. As Paul wrote in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we can have peace with God and we can have the peace from God or the peace of God, as Jesus mentioned in John chapter fourteen. Verse twenty seven, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Apostle Paul also talk about spoke about this same peace in Ephesians four, not Ephesians, but the book of Philippians, chapter four, verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty amazing thing. This peace that God gives. It's this wholeness of life, this ability to find comfort and rest and security in the midst of each situation in which we find ourselves. And as we embark upon this new year, it's my prayer that we might be resting in the peace that Jesus gives. That's the third point that you need to write down in your notes resting in the peace that Jesus gives. Now, there's two parts that I would like us to look at, and then four parts underneath that, and that's not in your notes. The first two things, in order for us to rest in the peace that Jesus gives, we have two parts to it. First of all, is telling Him our troubles. If we're ever going to come to Jesus and have peace, we have to be honest with ourselves in the situations which we are facing. We have to be the ones that come to Jesus and say how bad we're hurting. Just as when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, don't you care that we are perishing? Be honest with God. C.S. Lewis put it so succinctly when he said, Don't come to God with what should be in you, but what is in you. Be honest. God can handle it. Be honest. Breathe out your unbelief, that carbon monoxide of unbelief, to take in the pure oxygen of the Word of God, that God can speak in the midst of your situation. If you are struggling, be honest and admit it. If you're dealing with a situation that you feel is unjust or is unfair, be honest. Be real to your feelings when you're conversing with God. Don't try to, to pretend that you're not hurting. Say, I'm perishing here. I'm struggling in this situation, God. And God will speak to you in the midst of that situation, but He wants us to be honest, to, to say how we really feel. And He can't speak peace into our life, or he, not can't, but won't until we are honest. So it involves telling Him our troubles. And here's the second one. This is be in your notes. It also is... Trusting him in our trials. Trusting him in our trials. And that's the difficult thing to do. Trust him in our trials. How do we trust him in our trials? And here's four things I want you to write down. This isn't up there, it's just something I've come up with that I I think that we need to hear this. And here's how we trust God in our trials. The first one is this: determine to live one day at a time. Determine to live one day at a time. 'Cause we have a tendency when we face situations that we pile it on ourselves. It's a snowball effect. Have you ever done that? We start listing everything as wrong and we just start blowing you know, we really are blowing up balloons and inviting people to our pity party. You know, oh, life is so hard. So we do. We have pity parties for ourselves. But we have to determine to live one day at a time, take one thing at a time, one step at a time, baby steps. <laughs> baby steps in our situation. Baby steps in the situation of the problem that I'm facing. Because if we just look at it, it's a big giant avalanche. It becomes a mountain of mischief and problems that we have a hard time seeing the end of or seeing how we could possibly scale it. Take it one step at a time. Jesus advocates this. We see this within the book of Matthew, chapter 6, illustrated so dramatically When Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's the worries of what will I eat, what will I drink, what will I wear. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Don't have anxiety, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One day at a time. Determined to, to live one day at a time. Secondly, it's this God gives grace when we want to give up. God gives grace. When we want to give up, when we feel like we failed, we've messed it up so bad that we just want to quit and throw in the towel, God's grace is there. Where sin abounds, grace abounds, all the... Come on, wake up, church. You guys need some Starbucks. You were up too late last night watching the ball drop. God gives grace. I don't know about you, but that's inspiring to me. That's like a cool breeze on a hot day. I need to hear that. That God's grace is bigger than all my mess-ups and problems. That God's grace, no matter what, it's bigger. There's never insufficient funds with God's grace. You're never going to get that. You're never going to get the phone call that says, oh, you overdrew on God's grace. You're never going to get that report. You're never going to get that email. You can't overdraw God's grace. And that's a praise to God's name. So He gives grace when we want to give up. Thirdly, we also remember that He forgives sin when we fail. Praise God for that. He forgives sin when we fail. As, the, as John wrote, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's our advocate. When I lived in Chicago, I, uh, I was on the Northwest side, and there were a lot of people that came from Polish backgrounds. And there were all these signs in Polish. People would walk up to me and they'd say say, And I'd say, I, I'm not Polish. I barely speak English. <laughs> but I remember seeing signs for "advokat," which is Polish for, who knows, lawyer. Polish for lawyer. It's the advocate. The one who fights for us. The one who's willing to stand in the gap for us. See, Jesus is our advocate. He's the one that defends us. He's the one that we can go to in our time of need. And when we've sinned, He is the one that will forgive us our sin. It's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a huge praise. That God is ready to forgive when we fail. If we come to Him brokenhearted, contrite in heart with godly sorrow, He will by no means cast us out that he has called us children of God, and as children of God, we have the right to enter into his presence. I know we shared the story in here before about the soldier during the Civil War who tried to go see President Lincoln, and he couldn't get in. He showed up at the White House, and they wouldn't let him through. He sits down on the bench, and there's a little boy, and he starts. the little boy asks him what's wrong, and he tells him I can't get to the president, and the little boy says come with me, and he grabs him by the hand, and he walks right past through the security, walks right into the White House door, goes right into the Oval Office, and Abraham Lincoln is sitting there, And he looks up and he says, hey, Tad, who's this? It was his son. Knowing that we, through Jesus Christ, can enter into the presence of God the Father. And that we now have been adopted as sons, and it's by that spirit. God gives us his spirit of confirmation that we are his children. And it's that spirit, as Paul tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 8, and in the book of Galatians, that we cry, Abba, Father that we can cry out to God, that we can speak to Him. It's the confirmation with our spirit that we are children of God, and as children of God, we have the right to talk to Him. Think about that for a moment, church. Isn't that great to know that we can talk with God? I mean, that's great. It blows my mind. How is God going to let me talk to Him? And I'm so sinful in all my problems and all my, my issues that God is willing to talk to me and call me His child. And there's times when we, honestly, we have to be honest with ourselves that we don't, want to, we don't want to pray. We don't want to trust God. We want to give up. I'm reminded of my mentor, Dr. Leonard Rasher, who is a professor at Moody Bible Institute. And he said, there are times in my life when I've just gone into my prayer closet, gone on my knees, and I was so much in pain and in anguish that I couldn't even say words. You ever been there? And it's amazing. He would quote Romans 8 when it says that the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans, groans because the Spirit of God searches our hearts, knows the pain within us, and then enables us to still go into the presence of Almighty God and pour out our hearts toward Him. To know that God forgives us when we fail. That's how we can trust Him in time of trial, that God is our biggest fan. He forgives sin when we fail. He comes to us. When we run to Him, He is running to us. It's the It's the parable of the prodigal son, which we've talked about. The prodigal son messed up. He had sinned. He had brought shame on his family. He'd been humiliated. He comes to the end of himself. He wants to go back to his father, not as a son, but as a slave. And then as the father sees him afar off, the father runs to him. And we talked about this. We've talked about this before, that when in the Middle Eastern culture, when they would even translate that passage, they had a very hard time because it says the father ran and they couldn't comprehend how this father would, excuse me, humiliate himself and run to his son. This man that was so distinguished would run to his son. See, that's what God does to us. When we come to him after we failed, when we admit how badly we've messed it up, God runs to us ready to forgive because he loves us. He wants to speak peace to our life, he wants to quiet our situation, he wants to quiet his child, he wants to set us to clothe us and put us in a right mind. To have that right relationship with Him. So God, determined to live one day at a time. Remember, God gives grace when we want to give up. He forgives when we fail. And remember, last of all, that God is sovereign in our situations. God is sovereign in our situations. That the things in which we face have not caught God off guard. That God is with us in the midst of it. I think of Joseph. Joseph, what an amazing example in the book of Genesis. When we look at Joseph's life, Here's this guy who does right, following the Lord, and he becomes the object of envy and jealousy for his brothers so much in their envy and jealousy that they sell him into slavery. Seventeen years of age. Then he goes into slavery. He works his way at Potiphar's house, but his wife, Potiphar's wife keeps making passes at Joseph. He is accused of a crime he didn't commit, but he's thrown in jail anyway. And the amazing thing it says in the Scripture, that God was with Joseph. I'm sure Joseph wasn't thinking that moment in time, God, you're with me. You've done this for my good. As his beard's growing out, as he's dealing with other prisoners, but yet God was with Joseph, and we don't know how long he's in prison, at least for a few years, and then God brings him out and praises him as the prime minister of all of Egypt. And then his brothers, who had sold him into slavery, show up because they are in need. They have no food. They don't recognize Joseph at first, We know later on in the story, Joseph reveals himself, and they are busted. They realize that they messed up, and Joseph speaks peace to their life. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It was God that sent me here, not you. What a perspective! To realize that God was behind this whole thing, not the brothers. It wasn't their fault. He could have blamed them. He could have constantly pointed back in life and blamed them for everything, but he saw God's hand in the midst of it. See, God was sovereign in that. You see that also within the book of Esther. When Mordecai, uh, um, Esther's uncle or cousin, comes to her, and uh, the people are about ready to be wiped out from the face of the earth, and he says, God has placed you in this position for such a time as this. God has allowed you to go through this for a reason. God goes with you. He has put you there. That's amazing to know that God's sovereign over our situation. And when we do find ourselves suffering, we have to realize that God is with us in the midst of it. I love the story of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego. When those three are together, they refer, refuse to worship King Nebuchadnezzar, to bow down when the image was, was placed before them. And the penalty was what? Remember? To be thrown into the Fiery furnace. They get ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace. They're tied, bound up. It was so hot, it was seven times hotter than normal that the guys who even threw them in died instantaneously. And these guys are in the furnace, and then King Nebuchadnezzar glances in. Instead of seeing three, he sees four walking around. around, No longer bound. He sees four walking around, and one looked like a son of the gods. Some scholars believe that to be a pre what we call a pre-incarnate Christ, Christ showing up in the Old Testament. And I think there's an important principle for us to understand there. That when we go through the fire, God's with us. God goes through the fire with us. No matter what we face as individuals, no matter what we face as a church, that God goes with us. Isn't that encouraging to know that God goes with you, Gary? Isn't that great to know? David, isn't that great to know? It's know that God goes with us through the fire. What an amazing perspective. What an amazing thought. Jesus will speak peace to us in the midst of our situations, and we'll go through the fire with us. As I close today, I want to share a little story of Dr. Helen Rosevere. She was a medical missionary in the Belgian Congo in the 1950s and 1960s. In this area, however, as she would served there, it was overrun with rebels at one time, and she was subject to beatings, rape, and torture for five months. After that, she was freed. And even though she had gone through such terrible, horrific Things. She was interviewed and asked the question, What were the great lessons you learned from God in all this? She responded, God is in control. Always. He is still on the throne, and he never forgets nor neglects his own. He proved his promise is true, my grace is sufficient for you. Second Corinthians twelve nine. In some mysterious way he was working out his purposes, and he gave us the privilege of being part of his plan. One particularly savage night, beaten up and kicked by a group of rebels, driven down the corridor of my home, the Lord seemed to whisper whisper to me, they are not beating you, but beating me in you. These are not your sufferings, but mine. All I ask of you is the loan of your body. Furthermore, my heart understood that he was asking me, can you thank me for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why? And when I sought to whisper back, yes. I don't understand what you are doing or who will ever be blessed by this, but if it helps to fulfill your purpose, yes. I thank you, dear God, for trusting me in this way. The consciousness of his loving arms around me and his peace in my heart, even in the midst of wickedness and suffering, the sense of being privileged to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, was truly almost unbelievable. What a perspective. What a perspective. She had his peace in the midst of such unbelievable terror. This is the kind of peace Paul referred to when he said it was a peace that transcended all, under, all understanding. Now as we say goodbye to 2011, we step forward into 2012 with all faith, knowing that God goes not only before us, behind us, but He goes with us. He walks with us as, a, as individuals and as a church as we step forward in faith, as we move forward and we see what God has for us, we do so with boldness, knowing that He is speaking peace to us, He's encouraging us, and He's empowering us and comforting us in the midst of it all. And when we do find ourselves having messed it up, He's there, ready to forgive us when we fall, giving us grace when we don't want to go on. And He will either calm the storm or calm us. Now as we, we finish up today, I'd like us to just close in a moment of prayer, asking God's blessing on us as individuals and as a church for this coming year and praising his name and knowing not what, we don't know what we're going to experience, but we know that God will work out his purposes among us as we follow and submit ourselves to him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, Lord, just as you calm the storm, Lord, you can calm the storms in our own lives. Lord, no matter what we go through, that You are there with us. You care about the problems we face. You care about the pain that we're experiencing. Lord, You are there. And that You're speaking into our life. As Francis Schaeffer said, that You are there and are not silent. You are speaking peace. Lord, even into the demoniac's life, we see how You spoke peace into his life. And that You caused him to to be clothed in his right mind and with a purpose to follow You. Lord, if You... If we look back over our lives and we've seen how you have sovereignly orchestrated events in our own lives, we submit ourselves to you once again, surrendering everything to follow you, knowing that you have given us a purpose to glorify your name, to go forward proclaiming among the area and our family and our friends what you have done in our lives, just as you did with the demoniac. Lord, we thank You for everything that You've done and all that You're going to do. And Lord, we step forward into 2012 confidently, knowing that if You are for us, then who can be against us? Knowing that You have loved us so much that You gave Your life for us. We know that You are coming again. Lord, it could be this year. And Lord, just as our brother Tim prayed, he read the word today, that we proclaim Your death until You come again. Lord, we look forward to that day, and we pray that we are faithful stewards that are serving You wonderfully and faithfully in this coming year so lord glorify yourself in our midst as individuals and as a church we pray this now in jesus name amen